left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight that we get to come and and be ministered to tonight here at Initiate. I thank you for these leaders in this room tonight. God, so many of them pour out week in and week out. They pour everything they have inside of them into generation, into kids, into youth, into junior highs, into young adults, into worship, into wherever you have called them and placed them, wherever they're currently serving. And God, they give so much. And so, Father, I pray tonight that you would refresh them, that you would fill them up, God. Give them something new. God, minister to their hearts tonight through your word. And God, we, we need you. I need you to do this. I can't do this. Jesus, I need you. And so, God, would you minister out of who you are because you know these people way better than I do. God, have your way in our hearts. May we be receptive to the words that you would want to speak to us, God. For each of us, it might be something different out of this message tonight. But we would all be able to take something and apply it to our lives. So speak, Holy Spirit, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. So a, um, about two months ago, I guess it would be two months now, I had a very weak moment, i got to confess to you. I had, a, I had a super ultra weak moment, and we brought a dog into our home. That was super weak of me. Normally, I'm pretty disciplined, and, uh, and, and I can withhold this, but our kids had just been bugging us for quite some time, and, uh, and so I had this, this weak moment where we bring this little, this little puppy into our home, and we had been talking about this for quite some time, uh, but we really wanted to wait till our kids were at an age where they could offer some consistency and training and help out with this and, and help with, with the chores, you know, and all that it takes to... Uh, to train a puppy and raise a puppy. And so we've had a couple dogs in the past before we had kids. I've got to confess to you, they weren't the most well-behaved dogs. And so before getting this one, I, I just vowed, I, I just can't stand misbehaved dogs. It's just one of my pet peeves. And sometimes we think it's out of our control. And so I vowed before bringing this dog into our home, I'm going to do some research. I'm going to do some studying. And I'm going to figure out how to be the ultimate dog trainer. And I'm going to have a well-behaved, calm dog. And so I started doing some research. And so we bring, I don't know if we have it on the screen, we bring little Diesel. You'll see a picture of him. There's Diesel. He's a Hungarian Vizsla um, puppy. He's about four and a half months old. And yeah, you all say, oh, he's so cute. But that's a picture, okay? He's not that cute in real life sometimes. Sophie's like, yes, he is. Um, And so we bring this dog into our home. And so I start doing research. As we're about to bring this dog into our home, I start doing all this research. I start, and I find this online dog trainer called Doggy Dan. And he's this dog trainer, and and he's and I'm reading his stuff and I'm watching some of his videos. And and here's the deal: lots of people, when they bring a dog into a home, they train the dog based upon dog psychology, or on human psychology, rather. And what they don't realize is a dog is 99% wolf. doesn't matter what the breed. You might have a little chihuahua. It could be a husky. It doesn't matter. Dogs are all 99% wolf. And so you have to understand a dog from a dog perspective, from dog psychology, not human psychology, if you want a well-behaved dog. And so I start doing this research, and I find this doggy Dan guy, and he's like, 
he's the ultimate. And I'm just so impressed and I'm engaged. And I take his little online webinar course. And it's all about establishing yourself. When you understand that dogs are 99% wolf, you understand that you have to train your dog based upon that. And, and, and dogs follow this pack mentality. And so from the time you bring a dog into your home, they think they are the pack leader unless you tell them differently. And they will operate that way, and you'll see it in, in the things that they do, the reason they bark, the reason they jump up. Like, all of that stuff is based upon pack mentality. And so from day one, the moment you bring a dog into your home, your job as a human is to establish yourself as the pack leader. And humans have to be up here, even the kids in your family, not just mom and dad, but in every pack, there would be an alpha male and an alpha female leader. And so all the humans have to be up here as the pack leaders, and the dog has to know that the dog is down here. And so we start to, there's, he talks about these five golden rules of establishing yourself as the pack leader. And so we start to put some of these principles into place in training little Diesel. And, and, we're, and we're seeing some of the effects, and it's, he's still a puppy, and he's not perfect, and he makes mistakes, and, and, and so we're starting to see some of that. But then, you know, a few weeks go by, and I start to see, but this dog is still pretty hyperactive. He's not always chill, and I want to I be, a, I know he's a puppy, but I, wanna, I want a calm dog. Like, when I walk in the room, I want him to, I want him to just settle, because the pack leader's here. That's my hope anyways. I, I know it, it doesn't always happen. And so I go back to the drawing board, good old YouTube, and I start researching some more YouTube videos, right? And so I find this other dog trainer, the dog whisperer. I don't know if you've ever seen his videos, Caesar Milan. This guy is a guru, and he's got quite a story himself and coming from Mexico over into the States, and, and just his journey is a pretty incredible story. Um, but, but he starts, his whole deal, his whole principle is I don't train dogs, I train humans. And he said, every dog problem, there's no such thing as a dog problem, it's a human problem. Which is true if you think about it. And he goes on to tell you why and all of this stuff. And, and so he, he says, dogs are the most honest species there are because a dog will never lie to you. He said, I can tell you anything about you as an individual just by watching your dog. I could tell you if you're a calm person, a hyper person, a sad person, whatever. He said, I could tell you by, by watching your dog, because dogs do not lie. They mirror their owners. Sometimes even in looks. Have you ever noticed that? You ever notice, you see somebody and, they're, and they're like, wow, you really look like your dog. Have you ever noticed that before, that a lot of dogs look like their owner? I don't know. I hope Diesel does. I, well, we won't even go there. Um, but it's so true. that, that dog, And so I started to realize through this research that, wow, I don't have a dog problem. I'm actually the problem. And so I started thinking about the training that we've been doing. I started thinking about some of the discipline and how oftentimes when my dog will do something inappropriate or misbehave, I'll, get, I'll, I'll watch my emotions will get up here and I escalate and I kind of get upset and I may raise my voice and tell my dog to stop or whatever and I notice then my dog goes up here because I'm up here and it just, it goes out, of, it spirals out of control in a hurry. And I started to, to look at that and examine that and evaluate my own self. And I'm like, man, I'm contributing to the problem. I'm part of the problem here. And so just a couple quick things that Caesar Milan taught me, the dog whisperer on YouTube, and we put these into practice like immediately the next day, some of these practical things, application. I'm telling you, we saw immediate results. Immediate. Now, again, the dog's still a puppy, and he makes mistakes, and he's in those years of just, you know, being 
But I can get my dog to settle now and, and relax in a few moments. Whereas before, you know, he'd be doing laps around the island, you know, just bearing down, just going crazy like a puppy, you know, and they just have these fits of energy. Now, I'm not here to talk to you about dogs tonight. And everyone said, amen, great, that's good. But I did learn a powerful truth through this whole process that I want to share with you in just a moment. I've entitled this message tonight very simply, Be. Be. I know it's a super long title for a message, but the, the message title is Be. And our theme that we've chosen for Initiate that God prompted and put on my heart over a year ago was Make. And it comes from Matthew 28, 19, where he says, and, and Pastor Bev read it earlier, where it says, go and make disciples. Jesus gives this command, go and make disciples. And if there's one thing I see happening in the church here in North America anyway, it's this slow, gradual shift away from this command that Jesus has given. Go and make disciples. You see, it was a command. It was just that. It wasn't a proposal. It wasn't a thought. It wasn't a suggestion, not a cute idea. Jesus said, commanded to his disciples, go and make. Now imagine for a second, I have, I have three kids. Imagine for a second I told one of them to go and make your bed. And an hour later, they come back to me and said, so dad, here's the deal. I formed a bit of a small group, and we talked about what we think you meant by make my bed. And here's what we came up with. And dad, we, we actually even learned how to say it in Greek. Here's what we think you mean by make your bed. That would be absolutely insane. I just want them to make their bed. I don't care if you can say it in Greek. Jesus said, go and make disciples. He didn't say converts. He said disciples. I wonder how many of our churches today, how many of our ministries today are full of converts rather than actual true disciples of Jesus. For various reasons, but I think we... we are in a bit of a conversion crisis, if you will, because conversion is actually just the beginning. But the crisis is that many believe and have taken and preached and taught that conversion is the beginning and the end, when it's just the beginning of an ongoing process that never really ends. It's never supposed to, anyways, what we see in God's Word. And there are multiple reasons for this, but I, I believe one of the reasons, one of the major reasons for this is our methodology today. You see, Jesus, in the New Testament times, if you understand a rabbi's relationship with a disciple, a rabbi had two types of followers. There were, first of all, students, and a student just wanted to know what their rabbi knew. And then a rabbi would have disciples, and a disciple actually wanted to be who their rabbi was. Big difference. Students versus disciples. Students versus disciples. In many of our churches today, I wonder how many of our ministries are full of more converts or even just students rather than actual disciples, people who actually want to be who Jesus is. 
And we, we get people to convert to this thing we call Christianity. And, and then we want to educate them. We want to put them in a class and teach them what's, what it's all about. It's kind of our modern way of doing discipleship today is to provide an education and then just hope and expect they're going to experience it on their own. But Jesus had a different model altogether. Jesus' model, Jesus' way was to provide an experience and educate them along the way. It's a big difference. A radical shift where we have gotten to today and taken his way and our, made it our current modern way of just educating people, put them in a class, in a Bible study, and then hope that they experience it on their own. Jesus' way was so different. Here's the bottom line tonight. It, it's basically, it's this tour guide versus travel agent mentality. That's what we have here going on. I remember when early on as a youth pastor, when I just started youth pastoring, and I remember so many mentors and people I respected, and, and they would tell me how important it was that I take my students on short-term missions experiences, take them on short-term missions trip. you got to do some short-term missions trip, and people would tell me over and over again, and, and that was great, but it was nowhere near as effective as actually when I took a trip with five other youth pastors myself and we went with this tour guide to a nation called Thailand and they actually showed us through and we learned the culture and learned some of the language and how to speak and how to interact. And we, we actually learned it so that we could later on bring students back ourselves. Rather than someone just telling me, hey, you should go and experience that versus actually going and experiencing it myself and it changed my life. And two years later, I took a team of 13 students back to Thailand on my own. Here's the bottom line, leaders. You got to be one to make one. You got to be one to make one. None of us in this room have the ability to create something that we're not. You want to make disciples? You've got to be a disciple. And I'm sure if we were to pull this room of leaders here tonight at Initiate 2019, that every single one of you in this room would agree, unanimously, probably, we'd all agree that our desire is to make disciples. So maybe, just maybe, one of the reasons we're not seeing it happen as much as we'd like, as much as we desire tonight, is because we're not able to create something we're not. I wonder how many times in my own life that I teeter more on the spectrum of being more of a, a convert or just a student than an actual disciple. If truth be told. But Jesus didn't say, go make converts, go make students. He said, go make disciples. But you've got to be one to make one. And I've heard all kinds of crazy definitions of what a disciple is. And, and, and that's probably where we need to start tonight. We've probably got to start with defining what is an actual disciple. If we're going to be one, then what does it mean to even be one? We can't get into making and make and make a culture and, and, and personally make the, all of that stuff we're going to get to tomorrow. So I thought it would be great if we started right here at the basics tonight. What does it actually mean? 
If you got to be one to make one, then what does it mean to actually be a disciple of Jesus? And so right here in our text tonight, I see a clear, biblically-based definition, real simply put, because we confuse it so much. And if it's confusing to us, how are we ever going to make other people be something that we're not even sure what it's supposed to be? We've got, it's got to be clear in our hearts, in our minds first. You've got to be one to make one. And so right here in Matthew 4, verse 19, Jesus gives us a definition, a biblical, clear definition of what discipleship is. He says, come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, we're going to unpack that in just a moment. But before, before we even get to that, I need you to understand the honor system that was involved in, in, in being someone's disciple in New Testament times. It's a pretty big deal. And so when a rabbi would call you, like Jesus walked past these guys and said, hey, come follow me, when that would happen and you dropped everything, basically what you were doing was you were going to get an experience. It was this honor system. There was no free rides. You would get an experience with this rabbi and learn his teachings and become like him in exchange for your assistance to this rabbi. Wow, that'll preach right there. You you were actually going to be that rabbi's assistant. You were going to assist them in their mission in exchange for the experience you were going to get from this rabbi. There was this honor system. And that's exactly what Jesus is inviting every single one of us in this room to do tonight, to assist him in his mission. That's why it's called the great co-mission. We are co-laborers with Christ on mission to make disciples. So where do we start? What does it mean to be an actual disciple? I believe from this passage tonight from this simple verse in Matthew 4.19, there are three aspects of what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. Because you got to be one to make one. And so first off, I believe it involves being a disciple means following Christ. Means following Jesus. Jesus said right here in Matthew 4.19, he said, come follow me. Follow me. You might think it's, it's really strange that, that Peter and Andrew would actually drop their nets, their livelihood. You need to understand how big a deal this was for them. To drop everything and just follow this rabbi. Follow this teacher. Didn't even know a whole lot about him. But they just drop everything and follow him. And this was such a, it was such an honor to be considered, to even be asked to be somebody's rabbi. It was a huge honor. And that relationship was actually held in in higher regard than even to one's own biological parents. Like if your parents asked you to do something, you'd actually have to check with your rabbi first. And if they asked you to do something, your rabbi would trump even your own parents. That's how much of an honor it was to be called to be somebody's disciple. To come follow me. It's a huge honor. You're basically accepting Jesus. These guys were basically accepting Jesus as authority and truth. That his way is better than their way. 
Whatever he's going to give them, whatever experience is going to be better than what we're doing right now. It's accepting him. Yes, your heart is involved, but this one primarily following Christ is this mental acceptance of Jesus at a head level. It starts right here in your head, accepting him as truth, as authority, as the way. It's a big deal. Basically, these guys were yielding. They were submitting to Jesus' way over their own selfish ways, laying down their selfish desires for Jesus and what he wanted and where he was going to take them, and so they followed him. It's submission. You want to be a disciple? You need to submit to Jesus and his way and his, his, his words as truth, the gospel as truth, his entire word as truth, his authority in your life. It's submission. You know the definition of submission? is yielding to a superior force, will, or power of another being. And here's the deal. Submission is only ever tested when you're, when you're in opposition to that person. Because sometimes we, we get this wrong picture of submission. Well, well, I agree with my leader on this, and so I, I'm, I'm fully submitted to my leader. Well, we don't actually know until you're at odds. And that's when submission is actually tested. And you give way to them. Uh, I'm actually learning this um, with, with this, this dog named Diesel that we've brought into our home. I'm actually learning this whole submission thing. And I was doing some research about teaching a dog submission. And he's, he's actually been teaching me. And it, this is powerful stuff. Here's the deal with dogs. I did research and found out that dogs actually view the world. They perceive the world 60% through their nose, through scent, through smell. It's crazy. And, and so if you really want to test a dog because they're highly motivated by food and by scent, then that's how you test for submission. And so I was watching a video about how just put a plate of food down in front of a dog and see what happens. They will instantaneously go after the food unless they are submitted to your leadership. And so I tried this. I watched this video and then I, I put this plate of food down in front of a four-month-old puppy and I just looked at him. Just looked at him. I didn't have to say anything. I just looked, and I had my, I just went like, and he knew from my body language, he is not supposed to touch that food. And he whimpered and whined for a couple seconds, and I could tell he's just, he's trying to settle himself, but his nose is just driven to that, the scent of that food. And I put some good food down. It was like chicken or something. It wasn't, it was, it was good. And, and he's, he's, try, he's doing everything in his power not to touch the, and he knows he's not supposed to touch the food. But I know I don't actually have him submitted, and I learned this through research and through watching some videos, that he's not actually submitted yet. He just knows he's not supposed to touch the food. That doesn't mean he's submitted yet. When you realize the dog is submitted is when they actually back up from the food. Oh, that'll preach. When you actually back up and create space is when you know the dog is actually submitted to your leadership because he's creating space for his owner, for the leader, for the one he's submitted to. And that's exactly, if you want to follow Jesus tonight and be a disciple of Jesus Christ tonight, then it actually means submitting to him and actually creating space for him to lead. We're no longer leading ourselves. We're going from the leadership of our, of our Savior, of Jesus. And creating space in our lives for him to move, for him to speak, for him to reorder your steps. 
That's what following him is all about. Creating space and margin in your life for him to move how he wants to move. Maybe he calls you to something different than you're doing right now. You're creating space. You're not just being obedient. It's not just behavior modification, being a a disciple. It's actually submitting to his lordship and leadership in your life. you got to be one to make one. A disciple is following Jesus. The second thing is this. A disciple is changed by Jesus, changed by Christ. This is the ongoing transformation that happens through Holy Spirit in our lives. And if the first happens at the head level, then this one is actually the one that really connects in our heart. Following Christ is this mental acceptance, and then being changed by him is allowing Jesus to actually change you from the inside out. It's the transformation. He's inviting you as a disciple of his, to be transformed. It's an invitation to transformation. Now, here's the deal that people don't preach a whole lot. This is the one that hurts. Jesus talked a lot about pruning. A lot about pruning. He talked a lot about suffering. He talked a lot about there being a cost to following him. He talked a lot about suffering. When's the last time you heard a message strictly on suffering and they didn't wrap it up with a nice bow at the end? It was just about suffering. Because guess what? If you're going to follow Jesus and be a disciple of his, you will suffer. There will be a cost. There will be sacrifice. There will be pain. There will be pruning. It's the only way he's able to transform us, to change us. And you know what? I I actually think this is one of the the major contributing factors to why our churches are so full of converts because just being a convert is so comfortable. You don't have to change anything. Yeah, I've accepted Jesus. I raised my hand. Somebody gave an invitation. I closed my eyes. No one else was looking. Put my hand up, and I'm good to go. Don't have to do anything. Don't have to make any changes. Where do you see that in the New Testament? They dropped their nets and followed him. Gave up their own selfish desires. They submitted to him and allowed him to transform their hearts. And just let me tell you, if you haven't experienced it yet, I'm just telling you, there's some difficult days following Jesus. There's some difficult days being changed by Jesus. It hurts sometimes. It's dark sometimes. But Jesus can make the darkness tremble. When it's dark, you're not alone. This is where the character development happens, where our character is actually being transformed, and we actually start to look like Jesus more if we allow him to transform our lives and change us. And this is something that's really hard to gauge on a day-to-day or on the week-to-week or the month-to-month, but year-to-year, Here's the deal. There are some questions you could be asking yourself, evaluating, maybe keep a log, a journal. And maybe there's some some qualitative questions that you could ask yourself, develop in your own life, to ask yourself to see if you're actually, hey, am I more honest than I was last year? Am I more giving than I was last year? More, More kind than I was last year? More loving, more accepting, more generous? Like these are fruit 
of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, for Jesus to actually change us from the inside out. We shouldn't be the same as we were last year. There should be a noticeable difference. And hear my heart, leaders. It's a tragedy when an unbeliever can make sense of a believer, of a disciple's life. That's a huge tragedy in my mind. You've got to be living different. I'm convinced the world is looking for it. And when we do that, listen, I'm telling you, I, I, got, I, I could tell you stories of people showing up to church uninvited. I didn't even invite them because Jesus is changing the character in my life. He's transforming me. And I'll just tell you, it hasn't been fun. There's been a cost. There's been suffering. There's been lots of days of pruning. There's been some real dark days too. But as I'm living that out in front of people, I, I, just, got a, I just got an email. Actually, as I was, I was, I was working on the, the manuscript of this message, and I, was, I went down to my printer the other day in the office to print it off. I come back to an email in my inbox from somebody I've been, I've been living it out in front of for the past four years. Seeing no signs, never even thought they were like I thought. There's no sign. There's no hope. And I get this email, and the the header says, the subject line says, "Need to talk." The first line of the email says, "I bet you never thought you'd get an email like this from me." Goes on to tell me how his life is falling apart, and he has nobody and wants to talk and needs to talk that day. And so I rearrange my day and go and meet with him in Starbucks, and we chat for like an hour and a half, two hours, and he pours out his life to me. And he's like, you know what, you used to come into my business and you, and you I, I could tell even by the way you interacted with your wife and, and just, I, I overheard some of the conversations, the people you would bring in and the way you talked, I just knew there's something different about you. People are watching. They're looking for different. They're not looking for ordinary. And when they're in crisis, it may not happen when you think, but unexpectedly, boom, you get an email, you get a text, you get a phone call. Hey, could we chat? Because I could tell there's something different about you. We're not meant to walk like, talk like, act like, date like everyone else around us. Jesus says there's a different way over here. Come follow me. I'll change you. Allow me to change you. Allow me to prune you. And make me, make us more like him. The third aspect to being a disciple, the first is following Jesus. The second is, is being changed by Jesus. The third is being committed to the mission of Jesus. It's being committed to the mission of Christ. Jesus said, come follow me. I will make you fishers of men. And if the first following Jesus it has our head involved and, and, and being changed by him has our heart involved, then this one involves our hands. This is the call to action. This is where we use whatever he's placed in our hands, our giftings, our talents, our abilities, and we take on a new purpose. We're actually, we're actually in this co-mission with Jesus, assisting him in his mission. In exchange for this experience, this life-altering experience we're going to get from following Jesus. I thought some of you might be a little more excited about that. <laughs> Just being honest. This is, this is really fascinating to be, to be able to be on co-mission with, 
with Jesus, the Son of the living God, we get to be on mission with Him. That's unreal that He would choose me. What an honor to be chosen as a disciple, to be handpicked and say, hey, come follow me. I will make you fishers of men. You're no longer going to fish fish. Peter and Andrew, the sons of Zebedee, you, you guys are no longer going to fish fish anymore. You're actually going to fish people now. I'm going to take you on this, this life-altering experience, and I'll educate you along the way. Uh-oh, we're losing water. It's all good. Andrew was on it. You're quick, buddy. I'll, I'll take you on this life-changing experience, and, and I'll educate you along the way. He didn't say, come follow me to a Bible study. He didn't say, come join me in a small group. He didn't say, come, come join me over here at a church service. None of those things are wrong. None of those things are even bad. I'm not telling you to go and stop doing any of those things. But if that's it, if that's where it ends, then we're, we've missed something huge. He said, I want to take you on an experience. I want to show you something. Could you imagine how adventurous that must have been? Like getting up as Jesus' actual disciples, walking this earth with him, and, and not knowing what's going to happen that day. Like you get up one day, and, and you show up at this, this party, and there's people everywhere that want to hear your rabbi, want to hear his teachings. They've showed up, and there's nothing to eat. And he's like, hey, guys, go grab some food. And you're like, dude, there's nothing here. It's like, all right, I got this. So... Just find me something. Just go see what you, even if, and so they bring back this boy's lunch, and boom, he feeds the multitudes, and there's leftovers. Wow. Could you imagine going to bed that night? Guys, did that really happen? This is crazy. Did you really think that when Jesus started horking big loogies on the mud, and he's like, reaches down to put it, like, did you actually think he was going to smear it on, the, on that dude's eye? And then they could see, like, yo, Lazarus was dead. Dead. Like, he was out. And now he's here. Like, just imagine the adventure that must have been. Yes, there was suffering. Yes, there was a cost. Yes, there was pain. Yes, there was pruning. But imagine the adventure. If there's one thing missing... In our model of discipleship today in 2019, I think it's, it's adventure. Where's the adventure to following Jesus? It's never meant to be boring. It should never be boring. Following Jesus was an actual adventure. Every day you got up, you didn't know what was about to take place. And because you're following him, you've submitted to his way. You've actually backed up and created space for him to do what he needs to do, what he wants to do, how he wants to reorder your day. Guys, a few weeks ago, I picked up a hitchhiker. Yeah. It's 2019. I got home for supper that night. We're sitting down to eat supper. I said, guys, I was telling my kids, about, I, I picked up a hitchhiker. To, Dad, you're crazy. You get, like, stabbed or knifed or something, Dad. Like, you don't do that. I'm like, guys, chill, relax. Jesus is with me. It's all good. 
I see this guy out at the highway, and he's got a sign that says Coburg. I'm like, whoa, I'm going to Coburg. And so, boom, Holy Spirit nudges, but there's this opposition of flesh and spirit, right? And you got to submit, and that's, you know, submission is tested. I wanted to, in the flesh, just have a quiet ride myself, just ride. I don't want to talk to anyone. I don't want to be knifed. But I'm, like, nudged by the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit says, pull over and pick this guy up. There's no random coincidences, by the way. Guy has a sign for Coburg. I'm going to Coburg. So he hops in the car, and we exchange pleasantries, and I shake his hand, and there's no knife, and so that's good. And so he hops in, and I'm chatting to him, and, and uh, I said, so you're going to Coburg? He's like, yeah. I said, well, I'm actually going there, too. I uh, work at an office there, travel down there two or three times a week, and, and so uh, whereabouts are you going? I'll drop you off. He's like, oh, well, what do you do? I said, well, I, I'm... And I don't know how to explain it anymore that I'm at district office. It's just hard. So I just, I'm a pastor. He's like, oh, okay, God. He literally says this in the car. He's like, okay, God, what do you want to say today? And I look over at him like, is this really happening? Like, and so I said, what do you mean? And he goes on to tell me his life story. He was getting work off Kijiji and doing random jobs. And so he's traveling down there to do this random job for a lady that needed help building a deck. And he goes on to tell me, you'd never believe this. He goes on to tell me that as a kid, he actually grew up going to kids camp at Brayside Camp. A camp in our Western Ontario district, the other district, okay? He goes on to tell me this, and I'm like, oh, I know Brayside. He couldn't remember the name of the camp, but I, I'm telling He's like, it was outside of Paris, Ontario. I said, like, oh, Brayside. He's like, yeah, that's it. He's like, I used to go there as a kid, and, you know, these kids would be speaking in tongues and doing this crazy stuff. And he's like, I always wanted to be able to do it, but I could never figure it out. And so I'm kind of laughing a little bit, and I'm just listening and hearing him out. It turns out I'm thinking, you know, going back to the date and time, I'm like, well, my grandfather would have been the groundskeeper at the camp when you would have been going to that camp as a kid. And we'd go there as kids in the summer and spend some time there. I could even have been there at the same time as this dude. He goes on to tell me as he's growing up and he doesn't have a great relationship with his dad and his dad died a few years ago and he, he says to me, he says, I'll never forgive my dad for what he said to me. He tells me a little bit about what his dad said to him and just hurtful, hurtful words. He says, I'll never forgive him. He goes on to talk to me about how much he hates his dad and and I, my heart starts to bleed for him as we're driving. Goes on to tell me about how I don't believe in God. And you know, even though when he hopped in my car, he's like, okay, God, what do you have for me? He's like, you know, I'm, a, I'm an atheist and I don't believe in God. The only way I'd believe in God if there was, if God ever did like a crazy miracle and, and, and provided world peace, then I'd believe. It's like, okay, that's fair. And so we chat a little bit more and I didn't, try and convert him right there or anything. I was just building a relationship and had a chance to speak into his life a little bit, even about forgiveness and holding him hostage and go to drop him off. And he gets out of my car and I said, hey, man, I just want you to know I'm going to be praying for you. And he's like, yeah, yeah, do what you got to do, pastor. <laughs> and that was it. That's what it means to follow Jesus, though. I don't have to produce the results. 
I just have to be faithful in being a disciple of Jesus to follow and do what he's telling me to do. He told me to pick up a hitchhiker. And then as I have the hitchhiker in my car, I'm just asking Holy Spirit constantly, what do you want me to say to him? And be obedient. It's that simple. But we've got to create space for him to redirect our steps and be in submission to him and allow him to change us from the inside out and then join him on mission. Why do any of this? I'm going to invite our worship team to come if you guys would. Why do any of this? Why is any of this important tonight? Here's the simple truth. Maybe you're looking for a more flashy answer or response, but tonight, here's the simple truth. Jesus, I am crazy enough to believe that that Jesus is actually still coming back. That's why this matters, plain and simple. That's all I got for you. Jesus is actually returning. The Bible speaks about the imminent return of Jesus Christ. We don't know when that's going to happen. It could happen tonight before we go to bed. Do we actually live like that anymore, though? Really? Like, let's be honest. Do we actually live like Jesus could come back tomorrow? Could be five years, could be ten years, but it could be Tuesday. We actually don't know. And that's why this matters so much. Because Jesus commanded us. He didn't give us a proposal. He didn't give us a nice cushy thought or an idea or a suggestion or said, go study this and figure out what it means. He said, go and make. But you've got to be one to make one. We need to be following him, changed by him, and committed to his mission tonight. That's why this is important. Because Jesus is coming back. And you got to be one to make one. Last story. When I was at my first church youth pastoring many years ago now, and I remember I had a desire to, to take students that I was, that we, my wife and I, were personally discipling to take them on mission to give them a little short-term missions experience. We didn't have any money, any budget, anything to go overseas or anything like that. And so I just called around our district office and I asked for some small churches that may need some help doing something in their community. So I found this church in, in Cornwall, Ontario, the far end of our district, that needed some help. And they wanted, they had this design. So I called the pastor up and he's just full of fire, full of energy, full of passion. Wants to do so much, but has no help, no staff, so I, I said, I'd love to bring a team of students. We'd love to just serve you, whatever you want. We'll, pay, we'll do manual labor. We'll do ministry. It doesn't matter. We just want to serve. I'm trying to disciple these students, and I want to take them on a bit of an adventure now. And so he says, I'd actually love to start a youth ministry. I don't know how. And so we talked it out on the phone, and he said, maybe we could just do like a drop-in center. There's lots of kids hanging out here Friday nights in the community. They have nothing to do. There's nothing to do here. It's dead. He's like, but I got some stuff that people have donated. I just don't know how to use it. So uh, maybe we could start, and you guys could do the very first one, and and then we could build it out of there. I got some volunteers who are willing to, to volunteer Friday nights and just hang out with students. I said, perfect. That's one of the things we could do while we're there. And so we go take a team of students that... We're discipling. They're following Jesus. They're being changed by Jesus. 
And we get there, and so we go out blitzing the community on Thursday night. Never forget this. And we, we broke up into groups, and so I've got two or three or four students with me, and we're walking through this wide open field. And we see a few students over here, and so we walk over, we walk up to them, and we start a conversation, and we introduce ourselves, and they introduce themselves, and we start talking. And they're roughly the same age as our students. We meet this one kid, I'll never forget, his name was Andrew, and he's on his BMX bike. And so we start telling them we're doing this drop-in tomorrow night on the Friday night. And we personally invite every single one of them. You should come. We're going to be there. It's going to be fun. We're going to have this and free stuff and free food. And it's going to be great. Like, okay, I'll think about it. So we go on the rest of our night. And we get up the next day. And we're setting up at the church for this drop-in that we're going to do. And, and we go. We had it all set up ready. And so we had a couple hours of, of free time. And so we went out to grab a bite to eat. And on our way out... We're driving down the road, and we see this kid, Andrew, biking down the sidewalk. And one of the students in my van, I didn't even see him, but one of the students hollers and says, Stop the van! There's Andrew! And not everyone in the van knows who Andrew is, because there was just like three or four of us in that group that met Andrew. And, they're, and so they, they're talking in the van as I'm back in the van up, and I back up into this driveway, and we're waiting there, literally waiting for one kid to ride past us, on his BMX bike. It's a little creepy now that I think of it. And we see him, and he doesn't see us. We're just, we're just hanging out in the van, and the van's full. Like, we got seven people in this van. Windows are down. And so he gets close enough, and one of the kids, one of our students, hollers out at him, Andrew! Well, he doesn't know where the voice comes from, so he just slams on the brakes on his BMX, and he skids for, like, seven feet down the sidewalk. And he's turned, doing a little rubberneck, and he's looking back, trying to figure out where this voice comes from. And so he stops, and they're yelling at him. And, you know, we got like, I don't know, four or five of the, of the students in this van are teenage girls, right? And teenage guy. And so they're all yelling, Andrew, Andrew, hey, remember us? And, well, of course he does, right? It's a prime opportunity for Andrew. So he backs up the bike, and uh, he's looking at us, and they're all telling him, hey, you need to come, remember us? You need to come to this drop-in. Are you going to come? He's like, oh, I don't know. I'm actually on my way over here. And they're like, no, you're coming. Like, you are going to come. And they're forcing him to come. They're telling him he's coming. And I'm just listening. I'm not doing anything. I'm not saying anything. So he's like, okay. Yeah, I guess I'll come. Power of the opposite gender. And so... We show up at the church, and we begin to talk on our way to the church, and, and we, we start actually praying for Andrew as we're on the way to the building. And we have a chance to do a little teaching even in the van as we get there and I'm telling them, talking with them. And we're on this experience, this journey together, this, this adventure. And so Andrew shows up at the drop-in, hangs out the whole night. He's there from the beginning to the end. And I'm starting to tear stuff down with the pastor, and I'm, uh, I find one of our leaders because I'm missing, like, five students. And I'm like, do you, do you know where these guys have went? Like, we're cleaning up here. Where'd they go? And they're like, oh, you didn't know? They're, they're out on the front steps. You should go check it out. So I walk over to the front steps, and there's glass doors in front of the church, and they're on the front steps of the church, and they're sitting there. There's about five, six of them with Andrew. And I could tell they're in deep conversation. And so I opened the door just to crack so, so I can hear. They didn't see me. They're all facing out to the street. And so I just opened the door so I can listen in. And I hear them. One of our students is sharing the gospel with Andrew. 
Andrew gets saved that night on the front steps of the church by our students. I wasn't even involved. Andrew shows up. We hold a church service on the Sunday. Andrew shows up. He's never been to church in his life. Didn't know what to wear. Didn't know how to act. Our students surround him as soon as he gets to service. He's there sitting, and they make him feel like gold. And the pastor starts to disciple Andrew long after we, and we're in contact. And I have, have kept in contact with Andrew over the years through social media. Guys, there are so many Andrews out there. And we have this opportunity to join Jesus on mission, to make disciples. But before we get to any of that, you've got to be one to make one. I'm going to ask you to stand tonight, if you would. We've got time tonight. We're here for this, right? We're here to meet with God. And I'm convinced there are people within the sound of my voice tonight that Maybe you're just struggling. Maybe you're recognizing through this message that you probably, you probably lean more on the, more on the, the end of being a, a convert or even maybe, maybe even a student more than you do a disciple. You've accepted Jesus as authority and truth, but it doesn't really, your walk, your discipleship, being a disciple doesn't really mean a whole lot more than kind of stops there for you. Or maybe... Maybe it's because the whole changing, the whole pruning, you've kind of tapped because you've been hurt. And the pruning seems like it just never ends. Like you're always going through something. You're always suffering. You're always struggling with something. And so it's been tiring. It's been taxing. And this whole getting to, to actually join Jesus on mission is just too di- So you've actually reverted. You haven't even just stayed there in the pruning being changed by Jesus. You've actually reverted. You've taken a step back and actually gone back to just You know, it was much easier just being a convert. Much more comfortable. I think I'll just, I think I'll just keep it here. How are we ever going to make disciples unless we actually start being a disciple ourselves? We can't make what we're not. None of us have that ability. I want a calm dog. I've got to be a calm leader. You want to make disciples? You've got to be one. So I'm not going to ask you to bow your heads tonight. I'm not going to ask you to close your eyes. We make it way too easy sometimes. There's a cost. There's suffering. There's sacrifice. Guess what? It's the best adventure you could ever live. It's actually our purpose. When being a disciple affects you on the head level, the heart level, and the hands, you'll start to see other disciples being made through you. 